I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you today. Now, you may well be thinking, what are all you CBF folk doing here? And that's a fair question to ask, and it deserves an honest answer. We're here because we hope that you will become involved in what we're attempting to do in this world. Now, let's be frank. CBF began in controversy as a protest group which had been thoroughly defeated. But protest groups are short-lived. To live, we had to move beyond protest to a passionate vision of the future. And as we began to gather and articulate our dreams, it soon became evident that our hopes were to bring about a missional church reform in Baptist churches. Now, being engaged in reforming efforts isn't something new to Baptist. In fact, I think it's the essence of being Baptist. The Baptist story is a story of a people that are passionate about an ongoing, never-ending reformation of the church. Frequently, we hear that freedom is the essence of the Baptist spirit. I think that that freedom assertion misses the point a little bit. Baptists have certainly demanded freedom from government control and freedom for local churches and freedom for the individual. And this freedom was essential for new reforming ideas to emerge and to be implemented in the churches. So freedom is really not the essence or the identity of being Baptist, but it was essential if they were to stay in the process of continually reforming the church. In this sense, Baptists are unlike any other Protestant reformers. The other Protestant reformers wanted to reform the church and then lock down their reforms through dogmatic creeds and practices. But Baptists had a different vision, a vision of ongoing reform. This spirit of ongoing reform can be seen in John Smith's declaration in 1606 concerning the formation of the Gainsborough Separatist Congregation in which they committed themselves, and this is their words, quote, to walk in all his ways, that's God's ways, made known, and this is the key words, are to be made known to them, end quote. It was an open-ended commitment, a spirit of ongoing, never-ending reform of the church based upon new insights that they would gain from the study of God's Word. This ongoing reformation which I speak has been noted by other Baptist historians as well. Walter Sheridan calls it the Gainsborough Principle, which asserts that the teachings of Christ in Scripture are final, but human understanding of the Bible is never final or complete or finished. And therefore, the church is always in the process of reforming herself. One of my favorite stories about Baptists involves Benjamin Franklin and a group of German Baptists. Franklin suggests to them that since they are a misunderstood group in the community, arousing the suspicions and the gossip of their neighbors, that they should set the record straight and publish their beliefs in the newspaper. Of course, it would be his newspaper. Maybe there were some ulterior motives there on his part. But Franklin reports the reply he got from the Baptist leader this way, and this is what they said to him. When we were first drawn together as a society, it had pleased God to enlighten our minds so far as to see that some doctrines which were esteemed truths were errors, and others that we had esteemed errors 
were real truths. And from time to time, he has been pleased to afford us further light, and our principles have been improving and our errors diminishing. Now, we are not sure that we have arrived at the end of this progression at the perfection of spiritual or theological knowledge. And once we print our confession of faith, we should feel ourselves as this bound or confined by it and perhaps be unwilling to receive further improvement and our successors still more so as conceiving what their elders and founders had done to be something sacred, never to be departed from. You see, since their beginning, Baptists have been engaged in a series of ongoing reformations. The disestablishment of the state churches, the evangelical revivals, the modern missionary movement, the abolition of slavery, the social gospel movement, the civil rights movement, and many, many more. Because Baptists know the day that they believe themselves to have arrived at perfection or to completely understand it all, their vision is dead. Baptists are on a never-ending journey of reform as they passionately try to follow their Lord. This is the Baptist spirit. Now, where are we as CBF Baptists in this great story of ongoing, never-ending reform of the church? What is the reform that we are trying to institute? It is a recovery of the early church's missional impulse, an impulse that was eclipsed by the imperial church of the fourth century that Constantine started us down that road upon, and then was later replaced by the consumer church of the 19th and the 20th centuries. How do we understand this missional church reform, this attempt to recover that original missional impulse of the early church? Well, simply put, we're seeking to incarnate the ministry of Jesus and thus extend God's mission in this world. And there are several key components in that missional vision. The first, we are reformed to engage the whole church in the kingdom's work. We intend to engage men and women, young and old, clergy and laity, urban and rural, megachurch, house church, all nationalities, all ethnicities, in the kingdom enterprise. You know, globally, we're stuck at about one-third of the world claiming allegiance to Christ. And we've been there for a pretty good while. Are we going to ever break beyond that barrier? And then look at our own nation. Each successive generation in the U.S. has more people that are disconnected from the church. If the trends stay the way that they are going now, by the end of this century, the U.S. will look like Europe. Christianity will be that small. Now, if our strategy as Baptists is to keep building affluent, consumer-driven churches that demand most of the resources and the staff's time to be used to meet their desires and then use only a fraction of their resources to send out a handful of volunteers and missionaries into their community and around the world, then in another century the U.S. will look like Europe and it will be insignificant in the global missions arena. 
to reach our communities in the world is going to require a total engagement of the entire church. It will require commitment to being a missional church in which the whole church sees itself on a mission to advance the kingdom of God in this world. You know, too long we've been trying to determine who is qualified to carry the gospel. Do you have the right credentials, the right education, the right background, the right experience, the right charm, the right gender, and on and on it goes. And I would suggest that we need to understand today that if you are baptized, you are ordained to the gospel ministry. Total engagement by the church must be our goal, and our reform has to be crystal clear about that. To engage all the laity in the kingdom enterprises means that we will need a new type of laity and a new type of clergy. Under the prevailing consumer paradigm of church life, the clergy produces spiritual goods and services which the laity consume. And what we are attempting to do is for the clergy to equip the laity for missions and ministry in this world. We will need laity formed with Christ-like character, cross-cultural competency, and a willingness to embrace risk-taking. Rather than the present consumer model, which reinforces the laity's selfishness, segregationist tendencies, and an obsession with security and safety. The next component of this reform we must understand is that we must give special attention, not exclusive, but special attention to those who are suffering and neglected in this world. Somewhere between a quarter to one-third of this world's population, mostly women and children, live in abject poverty. They live on less than a couple of dollars a day. Over one billion people have unsafe drinking water. 30,000 people die every day of preventable diseases. One out of every four children in the world must work rather than go to school. In sub-Saharan Africa, over 15 million children under the age of 15 have lost their parents in the AIDS epidemic. About a quarter of the world's population does not have significant access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of these people are being neglected. Can we not minister to them with intentionality and passion? Perhaps we need to hear again the voice of John Christentum, who made a penetrating challenge around the year 400 to the imperial church in Constantinople, saying this, You make golden vessels, but Christ himself is starving. You make golden chalices, but fail to offer cups of cold water to the needy. Christ as a homeless stranger is wandering around and begging and instead of receiving him, you make decorations. In response, he sold the golden chalices to feed the poor. Of course, he also got sent into exile later. Perhaps it is time to challenge American churches to consider selling some of their decorations to help those who are hurting and neglected in this world. There is no way to read the Gospels and to look at the model of the early church and exclude service and ministry to those who are hurting and suffering and neglected in this world. Our reform is to help move this understanding back to the center of the church's purpose. And if your generation does not move the church towards those on the margin who are trying to find life, 
then I really doubt if the U.S. church is going to be of much use to the kingdom movement. Then the final piece of this reform is to embrace the hurting and suffering with the whole gospel. What is the whole gospel? Well, it would be this. It is good news of forgiveness and spiritual transformation in Christ for the sinner. It is the good news of reconciliation with God and with others for those who are alienated. It is the good news of freedom to worship for those who are oppressed, food for the hungry, medicine for the sick, clothing and shelter for the cold. It is the good news of a living wage for the worker and education for the illiterate. It is the good news of deliverance for children enslaved in the sex trade. It is the good news of assistance to the victims of natural disaster and a place of safety for the refugee. It is the good news of healing for those addicted to drugs and alcohol. It is the good news of clean air and water and land for the next generation. There have been a lot of ridiculous theological debates in the past and the present on all sorts of issues. But surely the most outlandish of all was the debate that questioned whether the gospel just included ministry to the spiritual needs and not the physical needs of people. When Jesus taught about the bread of life to nourish people spiritually and then gave them bread to the 5,000 to nourish them physically, there's really little else left to debate. The whole gospel includes attention to the spiritual and physical needs at the same time. And we have to do both in order to bring the redemptive power of God into the lives of people. So why do we exist at this place and this time in history. At this place in time in history, we exist to bring about a church reform to incarnate the life and ministry of Jesus and extend God's mission in this world. If that is our process, if that is our call of this ongoing reform in Baptist life, then I think that we have helped move the church one step closer to fulfilling Jesus' intent for the church. So there you have it. We need your help to bring about a missional church reform in Baptist life. We need your analytical abilities, your creativity, your spiritual gifts. We cannot promise you great career opportunities with fat paychecks. All that we can promise you is that we will walk with you as a group of brothers and sisters moving towards those in this life who are trying to find real life. For those of you who have heard the call today, may the Father give you wisdom and courage for the journey. Amen.